The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. <laughs> but the streets you do and don't cross, and, uh, and then how do we reach those streets? How do we go there? And, uh, and so Joseph has not only been just a great friend to me and welcomed me in, but a great partner. And we have been excited about the things that we were able to get, do together, and we look forward to seeing what God does in him and through him. But, uh, but we have uh, been blessed by having him be willing to speak here. He is a phenomenal speaker. And so would you guys welcome Pastor Joseph to the stage for me? You'll know how long somebody's known me or when they met me by what they call me. And I've been Joseph for a really, really long time. But if you meet my sisters, you'll hear them call me Joey, uh, which is cool. I like Joey. That's what I was called early on. Uh, and I'm still okay that they call me Joey. I don't want any of you to call me Joey, though, just to be very clear. But I've been Joseph for, for the longest time. I've really cared a lot about what I was called for most of my life. And there was this moment between sixth and seventh grade where I was going from grade school to junior high, and I was going from one campus to a new campus, and you've all been there before. This is your chance to rebrand yourself, right? You start a new job, or maybe it's a blind date, and you're like, I can introduce myself any which way I want. I can make up a story. And so when I went from sixth to seventh grade, the first day on campus, I decided to introduce myself with the coolest name I could think of. (laughs) Ace. (laughs) I'm, I'm dead serious. And I worked hard. I campaigned for this. I'm ace. And like, well, the teacher called you Joseph. And like, no, teachers are dumb. (laughs) Ace. Ace likes cheeseburgers, you know. That was also part of the problem, I think, is I spoke about myself in third person. (laughs) Which is like, it's like caveman style. Like, ace like girls. Um, But it didn't stick. Uh, as hard as I tried. I, um, last week, uh, Jared, when he opened up the series, asked the people in the room if they had like an interesting middle name or an interesting story. My middle name is King, and it's a family name. My dad's middle name is King. My grandfather, my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather's name is Ivan King Barkley. He came over from Scotland with that name. It's a wonder he didn't take over the whole world. <laughs> Ivan King Barkley. Uh, but I, for a brief minute, I wanted to go by my middle name, but that didn't stick either. Like King Barkley. Can you imagine if that's how I was introduced? I was like, this guy thinks a lot of himself, but so I'm just Joseph, not Joey. Again, not, I know you're tempted. Don't do it. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to check out the first installment of this series last week, you've got to go back and listen to that message. It's phenomenal. The good news is it's available for free at storycitychurch.com, also on Apple Podcasts. You can listen to that. But one of the concepts that Jared introduced for us when we're talking about the names of God was a really helpful one as you go through the rest of this series. Uh, if you're someone like me who's convinced that God speaks uniquely through these words that are contained in the Jewish scriptures, the biographies of Jesus, the correspondence of the first churches, if you think God speaks uniquely through that, then you want to pay special attention to how God introduces himself 
And there's a lot of different ways in which God introduces himself through these names. And Jared let us know that one of the ways we can understand the names of God, all these various names, are kind of like God's word. And another, another way to understand that is God's promises. Like his names are promises he's making to us or promises he intends to keep. And if God decides to keep all these promises that he's made in his names, imagine how that would affect your life. Like that you would have God, the power of God, the resurrecting creative power of God with you no matter what, no matter when. That you'd have joy that's unstoppable. That, that you could have a hope that's actually more like a certainty than it is vain optimism. Like I just hope things turn out okay. No, no, I know things will be the way that God says they're going to be. Like imagine that. Or, or this whopper, the one that I'm going to cover today, Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. Imagine what your life and the world would look like if God kept that promise. But you know, as we look around the world today, it's easy to probably think that no matter how magical that sounds, it's not going to come true. I think an accurate way we can understand the world in which we live is this, which is the bane of my existence with two daughters. But... You know, it's a bunch of diverse, beautifully wonderful, different kinds of stories coexisting together, but it's not like we can hold it together for very long or, for, or, or very well at all. Like this, the pain and the division and the strife and the hatred and the bigotry, like this is not a bad way to describe the world as is, right? And so I know this doesn't seem like a wonderful thing to say, during the holiday season, but you've lived enough Christmases to know there's some disappointment kind of baked into this time of year. Like, it never quite lives up to the hype, especially for me, because I love Christmas, and it's not quite good enough, ever. It's not. Like, some of you, I know you're still expecting Santa to show up. That's awesome. But most of you, regardless, are hoping that there's going to be a little bit more joy and some enchantment this time of year, and it's just not going to quite get there. Or if it does, it's not going to linger very long, right? Right? And then, you know, we sing the songs, and the songs are wonderful and powerful, some of my favorite songs in existence, but we live in a world that's deeply politically divided. We live in a world today where over 30 million people are still in some form of slavery, so I'm sorry if, like, singing peace on earth just doesn't quite cut it to the real world that I have to face when I leave these spaces in this room, right? And I don't blame you for thinking that if God has promised to being to bring peace to your life or to the world as we know it, that God has broken that promise. And if there's going to be a shot at peace at all, you're going to have to take matters into your own hands. I want to encourage us and maybe expand that disappointment a little bit by doing something odd. I want to read or reread, because Jared read for us, the lyrics of a song. And that's what this is, is the lyrics of a song that becomes a powerful song of peace, and hopefully not in a way that just feels like something we want, but in a way that becomes something that is. 700 years before Jesus was born, Israel was having a hard time. The nation of Israel had really devolved in every which way. They became a very weak culture, so they were vulnerable to military attack because their military fell apart and their economy had fallen apart. They fell apart morally, and so they were doing reprehensible things because they were making it up as they went along. And a God that used to define their nation and their culture had now become an afterthought. They were borrowing ideas from all the strong cultures around them. So even Israel 
The Israel that you read about, if you read the Jewish scriptures, was sacrificing children to different gods because they thought that would change their crops. That's who they had become. And in the middle of that, all these voices, these provocative voices show up, and we call them prophets. And lest you think that a prophet is just somebody like looks in a crystal ball and could tell the future. That, they did some of that, but for the most part, a prophet just showed up and gave you inconvenient truth. I know you don't want to pay attention to this, but this is a problem. That's a prophet. And Isaiah was one of those prophets. And time has tested the things that Isaiah said only to make them more reliable, that he really was bringing up things that we still need to be paying attention to. So in the middle of this mess of life as they knew it at the time that Israel was experiencing, Isaiah says this, and it might be seen as hopeful, it might be seen as inconvenient. Verse one, nevertheless, that time of darkness... And despair will not go on forever. Nevertheless, like no matter how dark, no matter how difficult, no matter how much pain you're going through, this time of darkness and despair and division and hate will not go on forever, which sounds like something a preacher says to make you feel okay, right? Like it sounds like something that religious people say to help you ignore your real life. Like right now, some of you are probably thinking, well, where is this God of peace when my brother was dying this year? You know, where's this faithful God when I was faithful to my vows and she cheated on me? Where is this, this God, uh, this father of all, when I just desperately want to be the mother of one? Why can't God take away my depression? Why can't God take away my anxiety? Like, I would love to have some peace in my life, but God just continues to seem, at least, to break the promise as best I understand it. And it's into that space that Isaiah speaks, it actually Isaiah sings. And we don't have the melody retained for us, but we got the lyrics. And I wanna go back to some excerpts of the lyrics of this song to see what might be said into the middle of our actual messes. Verse two of Isaiah chapter nine, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light for those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And if you're in this mess, you're thinking, why would I believe that? And if we jump down to other lyrics in this song in verse 6, this is how, just so you understand what's going on here, God is saying, like, I want once and for all time to prove that I am the God who will bring you peace. In an unforgettable moment, this is how you know I mean it and how you know you can trust it. Verse 6, for a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders but the prophet has more to say. It's not just another political leader, because that's what it sounds like. Like a, someone's going to be born, they'll grow up and be president of Israel, and everything's fine. No, no, this one's a little different, because he will accurately be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, and I know a lot of politicians wish we would call them that, <laughs> everlasting father, and here it is, the prince of peace, prince of shalom. His government will not end in the next administration or the next election cycle, and its peace, its shalom, will never end. Like whatever kind of peace you have come into you through this child is not meant to stop. It will never end. Well, when he says shalom here, and it's all over the Jewish scriptures, what he's not saying is maybe the kind of peace that we understand, which is a peace of like peace and quiet, 
And I wouldn't blame you if right now in your life, you're like, I would love a little peace and quiet. Like I've already told you, my house is a lot of this right now. Peace and quiet would be wonderful. I've got two daughters. Last night, we had a, my youngest daughter had a sleepover with nine miraculously loud people. <laughs> And uh, so I slept great. I slept spectacular. It was awesome. So I'm coming to you with just an abundance of energy this morning. (laughs) Um, But I would love some peace and quiet. This is not what God had in mind or Isaiah the prophet had in mind when he said that there will be someone born to us that will bring peace, will bring shalom. Instead, sorry if I'm going to give you feedback. I didn't warn the crew about this. I stayed up last night and made this. I didn't, I didn't. No, I didn't. (laughs) My daughters have taken accurate inventory of the Lego, so if I don't come back with every piece that I've just spilled out on this table, then I'm busted. Okay. So one way that we can understand peace is this. It is not just everybody sort of commingling and coexisting to get along. It actually is the perfect relationship between our creator and each other. It's been called Eden. It's certainly called Shalom. Jesus called it the kingdom. And it's everything fits, everything works, and everything functions. This is Shalom. So when the prophet is saying as messed up as life is right now, as lost as you feel right now, as divided as we feel right now, there is a source from which we can find Shalom, the perfect inner working of all of humanity. Now it becomes a dream that far exceeds our capacity because maybe some pockets of my life I can get a little peace and quiet, but I can't do this. This is a whole other level altogether. Uh, Would you believe me if I told you that my daughters built this thing without instructions? I gave them a bucket of Legos. This is what they came up with. No, don't believe that. That's stupid. There's no way they did this. <laughs> it's like, did anybody see that Lego movie came out years ago? Remember that? Yeah. I, went, I was so inspired. Like, see this movie, and it's like everybody's going to be a master builder. Like, you don't need the instructions. Just make it up as you go along. Like, one of the characters came up with the double-decker couch. I thought that was so cool. And then I went home, and my daughter's like, I'm, we can be master builders. Forget the instructions. Like, let's make a double-decker couch. We couldn't make a double-decker couch. You had to go to the Lego store and buy the box with the instructions to make the thing that the master builder just made up, you know? So it inspired you to do something that was impossible. That's why... Hollywood lies, people. Do you know that? (laughs) No, of course. You needed a vision. You needed a designer. Or else shalom is, and let yourself off the hook, impossible. Because as much as we hate to admit it, peace requires submission. It would. The peace I want in my house requires that my wife and my daughters would align to my vision of peace, which may not be the best one. Uh, If you voted for someone this last election, I'm assuming that you voted based on some measure of your version of peace that you think they would be capable of providing our world. It just requires submission to not only a design, but a designer. 
So when Isaiah said that the way we know God can bring peace is he's going to, on terra firma, give us a prince of peace, his original audience, prince was interchangeable with leader. It was like, you know, if, if aliens showed up, they'd be like, take me to your prince, take me to your leader. Like it was the leader of peace. So in other words, there is a leader of peace that if we were to follow him, that he could lead us into a greater interrelationship with each other and with our creator. But it would take, it requires, just so we understand, count the cost ahead of time, us following a leader or else we shouldn't disappoint ourselves thinking this is possible. The Millennium Falcon of history. Like that's what we want to live into. It requires a leader. Now why would I suggest that that leader is Jesus, that baby born in a manger a long time ago? Because a lot of people think that that leader failed when it mattered most. They choked right at the end. Of all the great miracles people reported experiencing with Jesus, it seemed like he just fell apart when he really could have shined right there at the end. He just hung there and died. But I would suggest, I would suggest he saved the best miracle for last. Because in the moment that felt like the biggest mess of all of humanity, I believe in that moment Jesus accomplished what nobody else possibly could. He actually toppled the greatest obstacle that any of us face. And I hope that there's more global summits and there's more the League of Nations or the United Nations. And I'm not saying we shouldn't keep trying to make peace as best as we can in the world that we know it. But no matter how hard you and I try, we cannot regulate the soul of humanity. We can't. Jesus came not to overthrow a government, even though everybody wanted him to, and not to become the next president, not to just become a temporary leader of a temporary culture. He didn't come to do that. He came to do something far more impossible, but far more miraculous, because I believe that God's greatest miracle is not turning water into wine. I think his greatest miracle is reconciliation. Finally creating a reconnection between persons who are impossibly divided with each other. His greatest miracle is reconciliation. And I believe that Jesus' death actually filled the gap between life without God and the life that God wants us to have with him, the life that we've settled for and the life that we're built for. I think that God's greatest miracle was accomplished in the death of Jesus. But why is this important for us to keep coming back to over and over and over again? Jared said it last week so well when he was talking about the names of God. It does not just reveal what God has promised to us. It also, Jared reminded us, it tells us of what we are empowered to do, what we are empowered to live out in this life. I know God's will for your life. If you're wrestling with that right now and you're trying to find yourself, what is God's will for your life? I think all of life is really wired to end division and end violence and end hatred, but ultimately to bring true reconciliation to humanity, not only in between each other, but between us and our creator. That is God's will for your life. He wants so much more for us than coexistence. What an inadequate vision for life that we would just have this beautiful diversity bumping up against each other, and then we'd mind our own business. Yay. I think God for Christmas wants so much more for you and for the world around you. I think he wants shalom. That was a horrible sound effect I just did out of my mouth. And I apologize. I don't know why you want justice in your world. I really don't. Maybe you just think it's a nice thing to have. That's great. It is a great thing to have. I don't know why you want peace in your world. Maybe you've seen it. You were inspired by your parents or by other leaders, and you just want more where that came from. 
that's awesome. But if you are a Jesus follower, like we can take out all of the, we can take out all of the wonder around why we want peace in this world. It's because we have submitted our lives to the leadership of the leader of peace. And it's a command. So that's why we advocate for the left out and the kept out and the checked out. Not because it's nice. It's because it's a command. It's the only way that God is going to achieve his vision of shalom is if we follow him into it. This is why we provide hospitality to people who don't think like us and believe like us. That's why we do it. Not because it's a nice thing to do, which it is. Not because it's currently a popular thing to do, which it is. That's awesome. We seek the reconciliation of the world because the Prince of Peace has a vision for it, and he's commanded us to follow it. It's an order. There's this one religious zealot that a lot of you have read his works. Uh, his works, his writings have been more widely read than probably next to the biographies and teachings of Jesus. His works have been read more widely than any other author in all of t- in time. And this is Paul. Started a bunch of the first churches. But he was this religious zealot. And after he'd experienced reconciliation with God through Jesus, he realized what his life's calling now was. And in one of my favorite excerpts from one of his letters, it says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He gave us now this wonderful message of the greatest miracle of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Since the future is shalom, every time you choose to forgive somebody, every time you choose to advocate for somebody who's left out or their voice has been silenced, every time you choose to reconcile a relationship, you are getting to be a part of the only thing that God is up to in history, reconciliation. And it might just be as simple as it sounds, one connection at a time. (laughs) No one can see that. (laughs) It's like stage presentations 101. Don't do things small, but here I am. One connection at a time. Imagine what it would do to your life if God not only was keeping his promise to you, that he wants to reconcile his relationship to you, but what it would feel like in your life and in your circle of influence if God was keeping that promise through you. If you were a part of reconciling reconciling estranged relationships or you you were a part of inviting people in who felt like they could not belong, imagine what would be possible in the world around you. 1847, there's a Catholic priest of a tiny little French village, and he wanted to write a Christmas song for his parish. But the problem was he wasn't an artist. And to compound that, he wasn't in a big community, so there weren't a lot of artists. But he's like, I want a song. I want a Christmas song. So he found a local poet because he's good at words. And uh, he asked if he'd write the words to this Christmas song. He's like, I'll write some words. Problem was, the local town poet was also the local town drunk, but he's like, I always sort of ignore that. We need the words. <laughs> so he writes the words. Another problem, he needs somebody to compose the song, but the only composer in town was a Jewish guy. <laughs> so he's like, hey, you want to write a Christmas song? The Jewish guy's like, I suppose it's fine. It wasn't pay. He's like, it doesn't pay anything. He's like, oh, that's fine. I'll do it. I'm bored. <laughs> So this Catholic priest introduces a Christmas song written by the town drunk and a Jew uh, to his parish, and uh, it was popular, like super popular. It kind of went viral in 1847, so that means like over the next couple of Christmases, like neighboring villages started to sing this song too. They're like, we love this Christmas song. Until some super serious church people, and I just got to tell you, and maybe it's because I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, I was building this Millennium Falcon. Sometimes I just, I hate church people, and I am one. 
because some serious church people they, who probably sang the song a bunch, then they found out who wrote the song. And they're like, we can't sing a Christmas song written by the town drunk and a Jew. So they banned the song. And uh, the song disappeared until it was resurrected a few years later by a slavery abolitionist pastor, which that's a, that's a rad business card. Uh, and he finds this song and he's like, we got to sing this song, not because it's a great Christmas song, but because it's an anthem for what we think God wants us to do in the world. And so he resurrects this song. It goes viral again. He's like, this is, this is a battle cry, and singing the song isn't going to change anything, but if it helps us remember what we're supposed to do when we leave these pews, these rows, and go out into our world, then it's a song worth singing, especially this one part. Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Lest we forget, the Prince of Peace showed up in a stable to a refugee couple in an occupied territory, almost like God was saying, I dare you to find a mess into which I cannot bring peace. Oh, Holy Night is not only one of the best songs ever written, I'll fight anybody who disagrees with me. <laughs> but it went viral again because it was necessary in the fight to end American slavery. And in 1906, first national radio broadcast in, hist- or in America at least, uh, they invite this violin player from the New York Philharmonic to play the very first national broadcast, and he decides to play this song after he reads Luke's account of Jesus' birth. A song, a song that was written by a drunk poet, a Jew, and outlawed by religious rule keepers was only awakened again because of the hopelessness of slavery, demanded that power be sung about, the power of peace. So what does it mean for your life this week? I just want you to, I want to leave you with a question that I think could lead to some powerful actions. And that question simply is, and I'll use bigger pieces this time, what is your next connection? What's your next connection? Maybe what you need to consider today is whether or not you have peace. Because I think you can only... Make the peace that you already have. So if, you, if all the peace you have is just peace and quiet, then you're going to bring that into the world, and that's good. The only peace that you have is if certain kinds of people with certain opinions shut up so that we can be at peace, then that's the kind of peace that you're going to bring into the world. But I would wonder if you could be carrying more peace with you. Because I think the deepest problem in the world is an interpersonal problem. We are not with whom we are meant to be with. God is a person. And the most personal he ever got was in the person of Jesus. Making the first move to the most necessary reconciliation we we have in life. So not only could you bring good ideas and maybe good legislation and good rules to the world around you so that we could live at peace, but you actually could bring into the world, you could usher in by your life the peace that all of us most desperately need. But it begins with the peace that you have with your creator. And I invite you today to have a conversation because everything's been done for that reconciliation to to happen so that all you need to do is take one step and say, Jesus, because because you died, I believe that I have nothing left to earn.
to have peace with you. And because you're alive again, I believe I have nothing to be afraid of, even death itself. So, Jesus, save me from a life without you and lead me into a life I can't have without you. That's the conversation. Jesus, save me, lead me. Save me from a life without you. Lead me into a life I can't have without you. I want you to have as much peace as possible. And God's greatest miracle is reconciling you to himself. But maybe your next connection that you need to consider this week as I close, and you guys can start making beautiful sounds if you want. That's cool. Makes me feel like I'm smarter. At least that makes them think I'm smarter. Maybe some of you are close to God today because of what Christ has done and you've trusted your life to Jesus, but you're also close to somebody else who doesn't have that relationship. So maybe your next connection is to invest in that relationship and invite them back next Sunday. It could be that simple. Maybe right now you're close to God because of what Christ has done, but you are not close with somebody else in your life. And your next connection is to open up the lines of communication again, to take ownership of your part of the division, to seek forgiveness. And maybe it won't solve the problem, but you've done everything you can to reconcile something that's broken. And Jesus, by the way, since we're following our leader of peace, this was such a big deal to him. He said, don't even bother coming to church if you haven't done what you can to reconcile with your fellow human. So can you imagine that like next week, if you're like, sweetheart, we're not going to church because dad won't call Bill. Like, that might be your next connection. I I want us to sing about this disruptive, cataclysmic arrival of God in the person of Jesus, that baby, to bring so many things, to fulfill so many promises. But today, I want us to be encouraged and empowered to live our lives knowing that God is fulfilling shalom in us and through us. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, what an incredible freedom to know that this is in order. Even if we don't feel like it, and even if we're scared that it'll never happen, we are following Jesus into a future that only he can create. Shalom. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for doing everything necessary for us to be at peace with you. Thank you, for, thank you for arriving into our humanity because that's where we needed it. We don't need you in the fantasy. We don't need you in the story. We don't just need you in our emotions and in our songs. God, we need you in our real life, our ordinary life, our real pain, our real challenges, our real struggles. So Jesus, thank you for showing up in our real world. And God, I know, even though it's intimidating and we're not sure how it's all going to work out and it's going to be messy for sure, you have empowered us and given us a vision for what it looks like to bring real reconciliation to the world around us. And so maybe, Lord, what you want for us for Christmas is for us to really live out your promise of Jehovah Shalom, that we would be the people of Shalom, ambassadors of peace, and that we would stun the world with how much we respect them, how much we listen to them, how patient we are with them, how much dignity we see in their lives because Jesus has proved each soul that we interact with is worth loving to death. And each soul has a great possibility of being at peace with you. 
May we live for nothing less. Jesus, in your name, amen.